Welcome. We're really glad you came, and we're kind of surprised. It's nice. It's 8.30 in the morning on the first day. <laughs> glad to see some of you we've known a long time, and some of you we just met. We're thankful to get to be here. Um, I want to introduce my sister, Sarah Jackson, who is the senior vice chancellor at Pepperdine in advancement. Uh, she's... Um, amazing person uh, underneath the titles and the awards. She got an award Saturday at the graduation for distinct, being the distinguished uh, alumna of, at Pepperdine, which is pretty impressive because they usually don't give it to people that work here. And she gave a perfect four-minute response. I hope you can, hope she you helped can, me write. I hope you can hear it. <laughs> she, did, she did such a great, a great job. She was better than the Pelicans, if you've seen the Pelicans. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't swoop in while I was speaking. I know. That's right. Um, she is a, she loves people. She's really good at what she does. She's a wonderful Bible teacher as well. And she has three grown children and a husband, Sam who is in Africa. She's going to talk about him a little bit, but he ra raises uh, corporate funding for World Vision. <coughs> Clean water. Yeah. And I'm happy to introduce my sister, Emily. And uh, she's a wonderful person. Many of you know her. <laughs> I've seen you hugging her. You can't see Emily without hugging her. Uh, uh, and she's my best friend. Mm -hmm. We talk every morning on the, my way to work. She kind of gets me through my day. Um, and she teaches community Bible study, and Lucy Perrin here is her uh, coordinator for community Bible study, and, get, and Lucy helps get her through her That's day right. every day. <laughs> totally. Um, and, um, she, and I think that class has about 160 women and 80 children, so it's a big class in Lubbock, and they've been teaching the book of Acts. She's been teaching the book of Acts this year. So she's a wonderful Bible teacher, and she too has three grown children, and her husband, Steve Limley, is, teaches uh, Bible and religion at Lubbock Christian University um, there. And let's see, what else about Emily? I have six grandchildren. She has six grandchildren. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So she's just a great, great person. So I'm happy. It's been really fun to get to be with her this week. She came out early to help me write my speech and root for me um, when I got my award at the graduation this last Saturday, which was really fun, because since my husband wasn't able to be there since he's in Africa. So it was nice she represented the family. I bought her roses like Sam would have done. So I really did a good job. <laughs> Pretending to be Sam. She did a great anyway, job. Sarah's worth everything. Yeah. Uh, we're talking today do you want to tell what we're, our topic is? We're talking about fear and how um, faith raises up in the, in, the, uh, in, in the light of fear and how we can find courage in fear because we all face fear and, and anxiety. It's just part of life. And I think today especially we are just bombarded 24-7 with messages of fear and, and why we should be anxious. And I think when... With the internet and blogs and tweets and you know and the fact that we can be on our phones constantly, we are just bombarded with messages that we need to be afraid uh, because there's so much to be afraid about. And fear sells, basically. I think the media knows that we will watch, if they can scare us, we will watch more. And that sells ads. So there's a lot of reasons why they can attract viewers if they can scare us enough. Uh, mass shoot shootings, that, uh, they will cover um, kidnappings, hostage situations. If they can horrify us and they can scare us, they will sell more. So there's just, we are bombarded with messages that we need to be afraid. We need to be even afraid of the lettuce that we're eating. You know, it's Chipotle. <laughs> there's just constant reasons to be afraid. There's afraid, we, can, we even have to be afraid of going to the hospital. There's bacteria we need to be afraid of when we go to the hospital. So we constantly have messages that we 
even as believers living in the kingdom of God, we need to be constantly afraid. Nobody can protect us. So I think, how can we protect ourselves as followers of Christ from living in constant fear? And that's what we're going to talk about, are weapons we can use against fear today. Thank you. We're going to use Paul as our example of courage because I've been studying Acts and Lucy's been studying Acts. Um, but he is just such an amazing, fearless, courageous person. Um, and I, I just want to introduce him. If you haven't been studying Acts this year, uh, we are so thankful to have been thinking about him so much. He'd always known about God. He was a powerful personality, just bo a born leader. But he was trying so hard to fix things for God and to make things right for God, he really damned him his own self uh, by his hatred of Christians and his wanting to kill them and his getting permission to, to uh, put them in prison and um, just stopped up the flow of God's love in his life that could have been possible uh, even, even with his, with his uh, being a rabbi, he could have known certainly about God's love and grace. But he was such a powerful person, and then all of a sudden, you know, in Acts 9, he's just on the ground, and he's blind, and he's, and the Lord is saying to Paul, why? Why? So interesting that God's asking Paul the question, why are you doing this? Think about it. Think about what you're doing. And he realized it was Jesus. It was the resurrected Jesus that he had been killing people for believing in, that he was really alive. So um, Jesus changed everything in Acts 9 when Paul was saved. And he went to uh, a house of Judas and stayed there blind for three days without eating. And then Ananias came and told him what was going to happen next. And he was baptized. Um, John White, an, a British author, he, you've probably re, uh, read some of his books on, one of his books on prayer, Daring to Draw Near. And he, he kind of reminds me of Paul because although Paul was not British, but, he, but John White uh, is British. And he said, in my family, we did not hug, we did not kiss, we were not demonstrative at all. The first time my dad kissed me was when I went away to war at 19. He put his hands on his shoulders and gave me a kiss on the cheek. And he said, he said I realized that we, I am just so British that even though intellectually I know God loves me, I, can't, I couldn't get it into my feeling part of me. Um, and I think some of us are British and we've grown up British too. But one day when he was praying with friends, this Christian book writer saw a vision like Paul. He said it was multicolored, it was three-dimensional, and it was Jesus' hands reaching out to him and he could see the nail prints in them. And he started to weep and he said, I, I didn't, know, didn't know how to get to the hands. He said, I kept saying, I want to come to you, but I just can't. I just can't, he said. He said it three times. I just can't. And he said eventually uh, he, the hands went away, but he said the assurance he got from just the reaching out just started changing him. And over time, the love just brought down the walls in his heart so that he was filled with love. And I think Paul had this same kind of dismantling of the walls instantly where John White had it slowly. But John White said, eventually, I was just wrapped and filled with the love of God. Um, and he said, I think most of us don't believe he's really there, but I believe, but those hands, he said, they didn't just appear, they were always there and I just saw them. And I love, I, I love that. <laughs> so he said, I, I, Paul says, I am convinced, you know, in Romans 8. I'm convinced. I know. I know that I know that I know. <laughs> so uh, I think Jesus kept on. What's fascinating to me, and we're going to use these three instances of Paul where Jesus comes to him, either with an angel or with himself, that Jesus kept on appearing to him. 
He didn't just say, okay, you're strong. You've got the Holy Spirit. You can do it. Go out there and do what I want you to do. He, he intercepted Paul more than once, over and over and over. And I, and I love that about God. So that Paul, who knew that he knew that he knew, says in, um, in Philippians 4 that he has figured out, after all this time of being loved by God, he said, I found the recipe. I found the recipe that's in the message. I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to have everything. I know what it's like to be in prison. I know what it's like to be uh, advertised as a very smart person. Wherever I am, whatever I have, I can make it through anything, through the one who makes me who I am. And I like the idea of the recipe because of my own cooking because I don't follow a recipe but Paul followed a recipe he knew the recipe for being courageous and my cooking is kind of famous in my family because my children especially my boys when I would put things on the table one of them would start to weep <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't follow the recipe I was trying to be creative, and I was, I was trying to add things that I thought, and he just, he was trying to be polite, so he would weep into his napkin. <laughs> I remember, I was, when Emily told me this story, we were in Lubbock, and I was trying to, we were working on this talk, and I said, I remember those days, because I remember visiting her when I had little kids, and she had little kids. And I said, I remember David one time, we were sitting at her table in Lubbock, and he, she was serving dinner, and David <laughs> was looking at his plate, and he said, he picked, he looked, he picked up his baked potato, and he said, <laughs> he said, my potato has dirt on it. <laughs> I vividly remember that. Steve was just laughing and laughing. <laughs> It's true. Her kids just hated her food. <laughs> I thought it was good for them to adjust yeah. to dirt because dirt is normal. But, but consequently, both yeah. my boys cook for their family. They're the cooks. David used to give me cookbooks pleading at Christmas. You know, He wrote me a note in the front. Some of these recipes sound really good. <laughs> and now he is a great cook and he... Um, he makes the best oatmeal cookies, except that he's a vegetarian now, but I, I remember those, and I used to say, David, how did you do this? These are heavenly, melt in your mouth, and he said, Mom, follow the recipe. <laughs> so I haven't ever gotten that, but now it's too late to enjoy those cookies. But I love Paul's recipe, his finding his recipe in the love of Christ, his confidence, his courage uh, in the midst of chaos. Yes, that's right. Oh, anyway. <laughs> you can't well, part, get over the potato. I mean, it's, it's embedded in my, my mind. Uh, but well, the thing about Paul is he, he knew from the teachings of Christ about living in the kingdom. And what we had into right here a couple of, years ago, how many heard N.T. Wright when he was here? Such a wonderful theologian, and uh, probably the most influential the New Testament theologian alive today. And he, he tried to emphasize to us that what Jesus was trying to do was to help us realize that we, as believers, are living in a new kingdom here on earth, not just when we go to heaven. It's, not, it's something that a reality we need to inhabit here on earth. And Paul truly was living in a new reality. You know, that's how he, that's how he could be beaten and be in jail and be singing those hymns and saying, count it all joy. You know, he was inhabiting a new reality. And sometimes it's so hard for us because it's really living by faith. It's living, it's, it's inhabiting a world that is unseen, uh, that we cannot see. But Jesus says we live by faith. Um, and I, I think about with my husband in Africa right now, he's in his third week in Africa, and he calls up and says, and I've been to, with, to, with him to Africa on several occasions, and he calls me and says, you know, we're, we're here, I'm in the tent, 
you know, I hear a hippopotamus outside my tent, you know, in the water, moaning. You know, we saw a, a lion as we, you know, ro drove through the on-the-dirt roads out into the bush. Uh, we saw, you know, uh, elephants. You know, it's a different world. They don't have electricity. They don't have medical care. They don't have clean water. They don't have any insurance. They have no safety net. They have, it's a totally different reality which is just a 24-hour plane ride away from all that we have here. It's just culture shock. So it's a different world. And um, it's hard for us to imagine their world, a different world. And the kingdom is a lot like that. It's just a different, a whole different reality, a different world. Um, and sometimes I think C.S. Lewis maybe helps us Imagine that in his writings with Narnia and Aslan, you know, uh, a different world, a different reality. But the kingdom is like that. And this, I have really enjoyed this book, which I recommend to you, by James Bryan Smith, The Good and Beautiful Life, Putting on the Character of Christ. But he talks about being kingdom dwellers and how the, the way that we fight worry is to really live in the kingdom. Um, and by putting on those glasses, those lenses of faith, we're looking at our problems, our fears, our worries, through a, with a glass, a lens of faith, the speckles of faith. Um, he, he says, worry keeps me focused on my own limited resources. Trust keeps my attention on God's abundant resources. This is why worry cannot exist in the kingdom of God. Worry happens when I'm on my, the throne of my life, when I live in the kingdom of me. But we trust when God is on the throne of our lives and we live in his kingdom. That is why the solution to worrying is seeking his kingdom. Um, and it's interesting that when you read Matthew 6, mm -hmm. and we give you... We, right here. Oh, it's on, oh, yeah, the orange sheet first. So let's look at the orange sheet first. Um, if you look at this... And this is in the Living Translation, the Matthew 6, 34. And these are Jesus' words in the Living Translation. Steep your life in the God reality, God initiative, God provision. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. If you don't recognize it, that's the seek ye first, the kingdom of God verse. <laughs> it's hard to recognize, but that's the message. Um, but it's interesting that what Jesus, that Jesus puts in, the, right in the passage of Dunit, when he's telling us don't worry, you know, when he says, look at the birds of the, of the air and the lilies of the field, he's putting in there right immediately, seek ye first the kingdom of God, saying if you're seeking things of God, you're not worrying. It's, our, it's our, what we're focusing on is, is, is the way to combat worry. And uh, this book really, I, this is a little chart I made, but basically how we choose to focus our, time, our, our thinking, really. Kingdom dwellers focus on abundant resources of God, joy, peace of God. And you could really write in here something I wish I had put living one day at a time because it as opposed to on the bottom here you could put world dwellers focus on our limited resources i don't have enough time i don't have enough money i don't have enough whatever our fear our anxiety and worry and world dwellers focus on i'm so worried about the future i'm just i can't live in the present because i'm so worried about the future that's what world dwellers focus on instead of living one day at a time. Because Jesus says right in there, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <clears throat> and my dad used to always say to us, oh honey, just enjoy today. Most of the things you worry about will never happen. <laughs> and it's so true, that is so wise and straight out of the scripture, the, the mouth of Christ, uh, today has enough trouble of its own. And that's so true. Uh, and what this book was saying was, 
to focus on the present moment. Kingdom dwellers can think about the future with hope and plan with confidence uh, because we just have today. God's economy is all about today. Uh, we, are, we live in the present because we can face tomorrow with hope. To, uh, today's economy is all we have. And I, I just love that, on um, kingdom dwellers versus world dwellers. And a little video of Paul on this topic in, out of uh, Acts 18, which I put those on your orange sheet uh, at the top, this Acts 18 verse. But Paul has been, um, he's in Corinth, and he's been teaching in the synagogue. Everybody disagreed with him. Everybody was angry at him. Everybody was yelling at him. You can just imagine. And he was totally exasperated, P Peterson translates. So he went next door to Titius Justice's house and started teaching people, probably Gentiles, who would come and listen to him talk about Jesus. He didn't stop because people were yelling at him. Uh, and I just think it's fascinating that here's one little clip that Jesus, that Jesus came to him. The master spoke to him in a dream. Keep it up. Don't let anyone intimidate or silence you. That, to me, means he might have been considering quitting. He might have been considering being quiet. He might have been considering it because God knew his heart. Don't, don't be silent. No matter what happens, I'm with you, and no one's going to be able to hurt you. Of course, they did hurt him, but eternally, um, they, they didn't hurt him. You have no idea how many people I have on my side in this city. What an amazing thing. I, I wish that um, maybe we need this recording just going all the time in our, in our houses because we lose heart and we lose courage. God is on our side. And it really reminds me of my brave and courageous sister Sarah and her work. And I just think this is... This is what you're going to remember from this talk, is what she's going to tell next, is how courageous she is in her. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, um, as you know, what I do and what I've done for the last 14 years is, is uh, attempt to raise major gifts for Pepperdine. Um, and the Lord's blessed me in my work. But um, even after 14 years, and I'm into my 15th now, it is, it is a terrifying job. Uh, and I, it still scares me. But I do it with the strength of the Lord. And uh, I, I'm mentoring a couple of young women uh, right now. And I met with them recently. And they were just saying, they were kind of saying, it still scares you? You've done it for so long. And you're good at it. And why does it still scare you? And I said, well, there's part of my work that I really love, which is making friends for Pepperdine, introducing them to Pepperdine. And um, you know, cultivating the relationship and kind of encouraging them and helping them to, to find meaning in their giving to wonderful things that Pepperdine does and, and engaging them with students and they find it very fulfilling to have a relationship with students and, and find meaning in their giving. But it's still very hard to kind of cross the line between, between being friends with these wealthy people and then making the ask for a million dollars or five million dollars. It's, it's, it's hard to make that ask for me. Um, so I have to really pray for strength to, to do that. And, uh, and I try to practice these principles because I feel like it's my calling and it's something God has called me to do. And I think in all of our lives, God puts us in places that are not comfortable so that we learn to trust him, right? That's, that's the whole point of our discipleship, is getting us learning to trust the Lord as our shepherd and our provider. So you can think about where is God putting you in a position of discomfort to learn to trust him? And that's what he's doing for me. So I, what I do is um, I just pray about it. I ask Emily to pray with me about it. And um, I, I use this verse. Um, this is this is a handout we made for you, um, and all these verses are are verses. Kathy Wallachy helped us put yeah. this together. She Thank made you, it Kathy, red. my wonderful assistant back there yeah. in the hot pink. Thank you, Kathy. 
Um, all these verses are verses you can look up. You can put this in your Bible and look these verses up throughout the year about fear, not fearing, not fearing. And these verses on the back are verses that you can memorize throughout the year. Maybe pick one as your verse for the year. But this was my is my verse, Isaiah 41:10. Let's say it out loud together. Don't panic. I am with you. There's no need to fear, for I'm your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady. Keep a firm grip on you. So I literally um, will sit out in the car before I go into a restaurant or into their home and say verses out loud to myself like this, and I will pray or I will listen to these songs. These are some of my favorite songs, Emily loves them too, that you can download. I'll listen to them on my way to an appointment or I, I can't sleep at night. I'm so stressed out about these things. And when I'm up at night, I'll put them uh, in my ear and just praise the Lord and pray for his provision, for strength to make the ask of these people. Um, and then um, I do, um, and then I just pray about it and I give it to the Lord. And I just think, okay, my job is to go in there and do the very best I can to make a good ask for Pepperdine. And, and I just pray that the Lord gives me the words, and I practice. And then that's all my responsibility is, to do my very best. Walk back to the car and sit in the car and say, Lord, thank you that you gave me the strength to ask. And the rest is up to the Lord to move their hearts. What they do with my ask is, is up to God. So I think in every situation we have to decide what's my responsibility and, and trust the Lord with the result, right? So I like the, the phrase, do it afraid. We have to do a lot of things afraid. I still get afraid, but God is my strength. So that's why we all have to do things where we're afraid, but if it's our calling and God's calling us to do it, we do it. Um, we don't do this yet, do we? No. Okay, that's my story. It's good. It's really good. Wasn't that the best? We're going to meet a lot of generous people in heaven that Sarah has asked and that Tim has asked and... Yeah. Others have asked for righteous causes. They don't all say yes either. And so all of them aren't going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> the second point is, um, um, I think another thing that takes courage is just wondering, I mean, doing these hard jobs, you wonder if what you do matters. And I think that takes a lot of courage because we, we don't know. And so much of what we do, especially in this age of media, you know, if you don't have, if you don't get 70,000 hits like the Pelicans did, um, <laughs> you feel like you're invisible. And so when, when we're doing things in, in secret and God rewards in secret, uh, I think we can know that what we do matters to him. And Paul said to the Corinthians where he just was uh, in the first point, he wrote them and said, don't think that anything you do doesn't matter. Your labor is not in vain. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And in the message, Peterson translates it, nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. And I think in Acts 23, the next appearance uh, where he got some encouragement, he uh, sees again, he wonders if he's, if maybe what he's done isn't working because he gets put in jail. Surely God isn't going to use me in jail. But of course in Philippians he says, don't feel bad about my being in jail. I'm getting to talk to the jailers. God's using me. This is great um, because he sees things through kingdom eyes. And on the orange sheet, the second verse of verse of Acts is uh, 23.11. And that night in jail, after he'd been in, in chaos, in a riot, he went from a riot to a plot against his life, 
40 men who weren't going to eat until he, they'd killed him. And why did, why did Jesus use that moment to come? So he came again. Not just the road to Damascus. Not just Acts 18. He, he, he saw Paul needed it. That night the master appeared to Paul. It's going to be all right. Everything's going to turn out for the best. You've been a good witness. He tells him he's doing a good job for me here in Jerusalem. Now you're going to be my witness in Rome. And that reminds me, a friend of mine went to a church that um, passed out bumper stickers one year, black bumper stickers with white letters, I, um, G, B, okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. That's what it stands for. I, G, B, okay in big letters. And I put it on the back of my car and I loved it, except somebody ran into me and wrecked my, it's going to be a <laughs> bumper sticker. And that's just like Paul. Somebody runs into him all the time. It, and Jesus says to him, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. I'm going to work this out. Um, I think the best story I know that gives you hope about what you do matters and I just I think of young mothers I think of caregivers uh, I think of so many of you who do service things at home at work uh, volunteering and you just wonder does this really matter because you have wrecks discouraging things happen Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book about it called these strange ashes and you may have read it and heard this story, but in her first year as a missionary in South America, she was not yet married to Jim Elliott, and she was a translator, and she was working in a faraway out village in the, in the bush and found one guy who had learned some English and come back to the village so she could use him to help find the right word to translate the Gospel of Mark. She, it was, this was in the early 50s, before computers, and she was writing things down by hand on pieces of paper and making vocabulary cards on cards. And she and this translator every morning worked for a whole year and finished the Gospel of Mark. She felt like she had done what she was called to do. She was transferred to another village to do another translation. So she packed up all of her things and put all the translation things in a box and everything went on the back of a truck, and an open truck that was going to the city where she was transferring from to another village. So she was going to meet up with her luggage and her possessions, her few possessions. And, and of course, all the travel that this truck was doing and all the chickens and goats that were on the truck were one thing, but also a hairpin turn and the truck and the bo her box just slid off into the bush. Her year of work. And it took her five weeks to find out later what she thought had happened. She never has been sure what had happened. And she started thinking about it and asking the Lord, how could this happen? You gave me a translator, you gave me a year, you gave me a call, I worked on this, and it's just disappeared. She was reading in the Old Testament about the sacrifices, and she said, what happens to a sacrifice? You put it on the altar, a Thanksgiving offering. You put it on the altar, you light it on fire, it burns up, the smoke goes up to God, it disappears and what's left on the altar are ashes. You can't see it, it's invisible. So she said, when you do something, when you do something for God, like this, like Paul said, anything you do in 1 Corinthians 15 is not wasted, it's a sacrifice. You can't see it, other people can't see it. Nobody knew until she wrote that book that she'd spent a year on the book of Mark and that it disappeared. Um, and all the good that it could have done if it had been rescued. And I just love that picture of our gifts to him are sacrifices. He, he receives them, and he's the one that makes them valuable. He still has it because he lives in the kingdom world. He lives. And I think that's part of Paul's maturity, really, is that he knew that what he was doing was not everything that needed to be done, 
but it was offered to God. God took it, and God was responsible for the outcome of it. Um, so we have to take courage because, um, because sometimes our stuff is going to fall out of the truck. <laughs> That's encouraging. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but but you know, parenting's like that. I mean, it is. Parenting's a tough one, and uh, whether it's little kids or grown kids, um, you know, we wonder. We invest so much in our children at every stage of life, and um, sometimes it's you just wonder if if it's been worth it or where all that investment's gone or why they turn out the way they do or what's going to happen in the end or uh, you know it's just parenting is a tough one you just have to trust all that all your investment has been worth it and um, you just have to trust your kids to the Lord don't you and I'm really struggling with uh, we have my our youngest daughter is um, a wonderful person and she's really gifted and we feel like she's um, really anointed by the Lord and has a gift for evangelism, truly. And we, she has a wonderful faith in, in Christ. And we, my husband and I are struggling because she is seriously dating a guy that we don't feel like is the best for her or going to be the best partner for her in her gifting and her ministry. So that's something we are praying about but have absolutely no control over. So what do you do when you feel helpless? And we are going to practice. We get on this, maybe to take your orange sheet. We're, this is a guidelines to help you turn your cares into prayers. Mm -hmm. And so we, we'll, we won't take very much time, but I want you to think about what I'm worried about. Take, think about one thing and take a pen and write down one thing you're worried about right now. And let's practice that. I'm going to, and we, we've taken it from this book. Uh, so write down one thing you're worried about, and I'm writing down Madeline marrying Will. I'm very worried. She's going to marry this guy. And then what can I do to remedy this situation? Well, I'm writing, I can do very little, but one thing I can do is pray, and one thing I can do is not to alienate her by saying anything negative about him, right? I should not say anything negative about him, so that's something I can do, and I can be very supportive of her and keep the communication open, so that's one thing I can do. So number three, until you write one thing you can do, is there anything you can do practically to change what you're worried about? Write that down. I'll give you a minute. Is there anything you can actually do to change your situation? And number three, make a note to do what you can do. If you can actually do something, then what can you do? And be specific and write down when you will do it. So I am going to, what I wrote down was I'm going to send encouraging texts to my daughter. So I'm going to keep the communication open and I'm going to just send encouraging texts and I'm going to call her. I don't want to alienate her by being against this boy openly. I'm going to keep the communication open and being positive. That's all I can do right now. And number four, turn everything else over to God. Write out what you're turning over. So I'm turning everything over to God and I'm going to pray with Sam, my husband, I'm going to pray with Emily, I'm going to pray with Cheryl, my sister-in-law about this, and I'm just going to surrender Madeline's future husband to the Lord and just make it a, a matter of prayer constantly. And number five, I'm going to write out my request to God and I'm going to be specific so here's what I'm writing out about this. I'm praying that Madeline will break up with Will in the next 30 days. <laughs> I am, that is my prayer to the Lord and I'm specific. So 
So I want you, I'm encouraging you to write it out. Mm -hmm. One point he makes is that sometimes we're not specific enough with the Lord about our prayer requests, so we don't even know when it's been answered. Mm -hmm. So let's, be, let's pray and be specific and then trust the Lord with it. And then number six, cast your cares on him and wait for his answers. So I like it's really a good guideline and it's something that we could do every morning to really work on our, our anxiety and our prayers. That's great. Thank you. For some of us who the 30 days is up, we can, we can take Paul saying that he's working all things together for good. And we know that. And Paul was mature, and he knew that. And he knew that it, sometimes it takes a, a long time. Sometimes it takes eternal eternity. Um, the last point we're going to cover about courage, taking courage, is that um, take courage for the inevitable suffering of life. Paul knew that he would suffer. In Acts 9, when Ananias comes to him, the Lord says, Ananias, I want you to tell him all the things that he will suffer for my name. And uh, I think that's just so fascinating in the light of Jesus telling us, in this world you will have tribulation. And I don't know, we don't, we don't quote that verse very much as a, our favorite verse. And oops, you know, it seems like they forgot that in the five steps to salvation or the four spiritual laws. They didn't put. Number six is you will suffer. Number five of the four spiritual laws is you will suffer because that's not a good PR move. But it's true. We will suffer. Jesus says it. Paul says it. Jesus says it to Paul. And so I think in, in Acts 27, we see Paul suffering and he knew he wasn't saying God aren't you surprised that I'm doing your work and you said I was doing a good job and here I am in mortal danger on a ship nauseated for two weeks not being able to eat and hurricane force winds uh, and is this really necessary are you just trying to prove a point or what because I could have had a better idea but Paul he, do, he doesn't ask those questions he just accepts I think he's calm he's courageous but evidently, the Lord feels like that he needed uh, another point of encouragement, and so he sends an angel to him, and uh, the angel says to him, don't give up, Paul. Kind of the same message over and over. You're going to stand before Caesar yet, and everyone sailing with you is also going to make it. So Paul passes on the encouragement, so dear friends, all of you prisoners, that I've made friends with, take heart, take courage. I believe God will do exactly what he told me, but we are gonna shipwreck on some island or other. Don't you love that? I love that. We are gonna run aground. We are, we are, we are truly in trouble, and God is not gonna swoop us out of the boat. Uh, his suffering continued, but he was going to make it. Um, and I think our, we, sur we surely know that our suffering continues a lot of times. Uh, and it may change, but we have suffering. In this world, we will have tribulation, but take heart. That's what Jesus says. Mm -hmm. And we like, we like this, uh, this quote in here about suffering, because suffering is different when you live, when you are kingdom dwellers. Um, we suffer but we, we live in a safe place, which is we live in the kingdom. And we have a different perspective because we lost our sister. Um, and so we have been through suffering when we lost our sister when she was 49. We live in an unshakable kingdom with an unshakable, the unshakable kingdom of God. And that's why we are confident that our world is a safe place. And he says, are you kidding? A safe place? The world is safe? It, it's not safe. It's a scary and dangerous place. Um, this is true if you are on the throne of your own life, living outside the kingdom of God. Inside the kingdom of God, we are in no danger. But you could get cancer. You could get hit by a bus. You could lose your job or lose a loved one in a heartbeat. Let me say clearly, none of these things can harm those who live in the kingdom. If we die, we step into glory. Mm -hmm. 
If we lose a job, we can learn how to trust God for something better. If we lose a loved one, we can be certain that we will soon enjoy their company for all eternity. As long as we live in fellowship with our good and beautiful God in his mighty kingdom, we have nothing to fear, not even fear itself. For nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God, Romans 8. When we know this is to be true, we can let go of worry and begin, begin living with confidence and joy. Isn't that a beautiful paragraph? That's kingdom living. That's what we have to learn to hold on to and not give in to fear. I love that. Yeah. When um, I, Paul, you know, the pinnacle of the New Testament is really Romans 8, you know, where I know that nothing can separate. And I think that's just kind of the top of the mountain for maturity, too. And in suffering... We, we are not Pollyannas, and sometimes Paul is pictured as a Pollyanna. I think he was very serious, very intense, um, and disturbed about the bad things that happened. I think he was a real human being. He was not super Paul, but he, he believed. He, he knew that Jesus was with him, and I just find it so fascinating that Jesus comes alongside him all these times in Acts. Um, and says, I am with you. I am with you. Suffering is part of the plan. Uh, you, you're going to have, have tribulation. Um, uh, Corey Ten Boom, you know, is, oh, is, an, is an old story in a way, but Elizabeth Elliot went to visit her, the one who, who uh, was a missionary to South, South America, and asked her. Corey was in bed. She wore purple silk pajamas, but she didn't feel well, and she couldn't get up. And so Elizabeth said, what's your advice about preparing for suffering? Because I know I'm going to have more suffering, and you're going to go be with the Father. And Corey said, the only preparation for suffering is to soak in the scriptures. And I think that's what, that's why I love this uh, handout that Kathy made with all those scriptures about not fearing. Just soak in the scriptures. Be so familiar with them. Have your Bible so marked up that when it falls open in the middle of your fit, uh, you will see something that gives you that gives you hope. Soak in the scriptures. And that's what, you know, uh, with our mother, we have found, we have so many of her Bibles and that's so, so precious to us, but it, they're all so marked up and writing in the margin and just, you know, she soaked in the scriptures. She just, she knew the scriptures. She had so many memorized in her life. Just glowed with scripture. You know, it just was a living memorial to, like Paul. She just, she just was a living scripture. Um, and this, this is just one more example. But this, this, and it's, it's kind of a sad one. But this, this is a book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies. I've loved, <laughs> and it's by Kate Bowler, um, but she was, she is an assistant professor at Duke Divinity School, and she is 35, mother of a toddler boy, and she's dying of cancer, diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she just finished a 10-year research project, a dissertation, on the history of the American prosperity gospel, which of course is essentially teaching that obedience always begets protection from God mm -hmm. and that if you do X and Y you will get mm -hmm. rewarded mm -hmm. and you know two, 2 plus 2 equals 4 so if you're if you do the right thing God will reward you that's kind of the prosperity gospel and here she is at 35 dying of cancer and a woman of faith and she tells in this memoir uh, her journey uh, with cancer and she's talking about her community of faith at Duke Divinity School highly revered scholars at the seminary sitting beside her hospital bed begging God to prolong her life mm. friends who make important phone calls to important people to get her into clinical trials colleagues who organize prayer vigils at the, at the campus chapel she talks about waking up yoked with a burden of grief and there's absolutely nothing she can do to ameliorate the pain of her burden, 
when she thinks about the day that her son will be motherless and her husband will be a widower. And yet, having a, a decade of studying this prosperity gospel. But she is a kingdom dweller and she finds her peace in the confidence in the love of her Savior and the deep theology of suffering grounded in the redemptive work of Christ's suffering. And her memoir ends with this quote, what if rich did not mean wealthy and whole did not mean healed? What if, oh, that's her. We're done. <laughs> um, what if rich did not mean wealthy and whole did not mean healed? What if people of the gospel meant we are simply people with good news that God is here, that we are loved, and that is enough? That is enough. That's pretty beautiful. Uh, we are kingdom dwellers, and God is with us, and that is enough. We've tried to practice some of these things. We've said a scripture. We've written a prayer. And now we're going to sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures, hear me low. Praise him above me, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Yeah. God bless you. We'll end in prayer. Let's end in prayer. Dear Lord, we're thankful for just your gospel. Thankful for Jesus. That he came and that he suffered and that he taught us how to, to suffer in this world. And he warned us that we will have suffering, but that you are with us in it and that it counts and it means something. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us orphans, but the Holy Spirit is with us to encourage us, to counsel us, to protect us, and to, to comfort us, Lord, in this world. Thank you for your joy, for the gifts of the Spirit, and we praise you and we worship you because you are a great and awesome God and that, that you win in Amen. the end. We are victors. Amen. We praise you, we worship you, and we love you. In your Son's holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.